Welcome to Delivering Joy. I'm your host, Deanne Luke, and with 10 years' experience working with businesses, I've seen the highs and the lows. In this series, join me as we go behind the brands and discover what it really takes to deliver joy to customers. Welcome to Episode 2 of Delivering Joy. Today, I am speaking with Sky Anderton, which is the Chief Dreamer and Creative Director of Ruby Olive. Sky has a really fascinating story and we delve not only into her background, but also the business as it is today. In her 20s, Sky spent almost a decade living in the UK and working as a buyer and product developer for large high street retailers. In 2010, she moved back home to Brisbane and started Ruby Olive, a business she named after her grandmother. Ruby Olive's mission is clear and simple to inspire you to be uniquely you. She designs, produces, and sells a very colourful range of jewellery, accessories, and lifestyle products. But it's not the products that drive Sky in her business journey. It's really about how those products make her customers feel. She loves to collaborate with Australian female artists and loves to celebrate and tell stories of amazing women. It is also really important that her business is supporting the world around us and where possible, she tries to use sustainably sourced raw materials such as recycled water bottles and reclaimed wood. Skye is now a wife and mum to two beautiful, busy boys. Please join my chat with Skye as we learn more about her business, the values that she has created that underpin how she wants her customers to feel when they are purchasing a Ruby Olive product. Enjoy. Welcome. Yay. Thank you so much, Deanne. Wonderful oh, to be here. Oh, no, you're welcome. So what I like to start with when I interview our guests is I really love to understand a little bit about your background and why you started. So take us through a little bit about Ruby Olive, but why Ruby Olive and where did you start? Yeah, well, maybe it would uh, be fitting to maybe go a couple of steps back to understand why I do what I do. I guess when I was 16, 17, 18, I always loved building things, making things. I wasn't so much attracted to colour, but I just loved making stuff. Uh, I wasn't really a great kid at school. I didn't study all the accountant things and all the economic type subjects. I was very creative at school. And so I didn't really fit. I didn't really think business was actually something which uh, I could relate to. And it probably wasn't back then either. You know, when we went to school, it was a little bit, the creative side was why did you you do acting or art? And it yeah. wasn't sort of taken seriously unless you were doing accounting or business studies or maths or something like that. Completely. And that's exactly what I thought. But interestingly, I was offered a Young Achievers program, it's called YAA, where you actually build a business and you create the product and you go through the process of working out who your target market and stuff was. And at the time, I think that was probably very new and very different. That was probably groundbreaking. Completely, completely. And that's when the penny dropped and like, oh my goodness, I love this. I love being able to talk to people and create something that is going to be useful and build something which is going to generate money, but also make people uh, happy with a problem, solving a problem for them. And so I did that when I was 16. Then when I was 18, left school, I started making jewelry and just because I loved it. And I had this grand plan is one day I want to have a bag business believe it or not. 
And I wrote, even wrote it in my uh, end of year journal. You know, you've got your end of year book. Yeah, even yeah. wrote it on there. One day I'm going to have my own bag. <laughs> uh, I loved it. I did go to the markets and sell my goodies. I did do like home based selling things to friends and stuff. And I think, you know, the buzz that you get when you sell something for the first time to someone that you don't even know and then you see it in the street, someone yeah, crossing the road wearing exciting. one of your bags. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so incredible. Such a wonderful feeling. So then I uh, took that little business and and I even got it into music videos and it was really awesome actually. But then I was like, you know what? I'm doing everything in this business. I'm actually doing every single tiny bit of it. I can't do any more. And so I thought I've really got to learn. And I knew it wasn't in the corporate world. So I actually moved to the UK. And so in my early 20s, moved to the UK, what was supposed to be one year, because I thought back when I was early 20s, I'm going to learn all I need to learn in one year. (laughs) You know, so naive. As you do. In the end. As you do, exactly. But in the end, I stayed for almost a decade and I ended up being a buyer and a product developer for quite a big high street retailer, which was incredible. And I really put down those years of just pulling my socks up and just working really hard. Obviously, I partied really hard in London, traveled a lot. I really think that they were the foundation years of me learning so much about sourcing and product development for sure. And do you think, you know, like you've started a business young, you had the taste of it at such an early age and you could have continued on that path and who knows where it would have taken you. Do you think then going back a second time round, was so different with the way that you approached things, having that that gap of experience where you were able to learn probably so much more than what you thought you would be able to? Oh, 100%. Yeah. I think that there's no way my business would be what it is today without the experience that I've had and also the incredible incredible mentors that I had in my 20s who I don't think I realised at the time but I do now how incredibly influential they were. And I think that, you know, there's people that come into your life for a reason and there's people that come into your life that at the time you're just like, oh, yeah, they're so amazing and whatever. And then it's not when you stop and look back and realise that person taught me a lot. We've got those people everywhere around us and I think sometimes we probably take them for granted or we don't realise how much they're teaching us. And it comes full circle too. And like you said, you don't realise at the time and then you think back and, you know, you might be presented with an issue or a problem and it's like, hang on, I've I've heard this or I've seen this somewhere before or there's a teaching that I have listened to or read and that's then, oh, this makes sense now why I'm on that path at the time. 100%. Yeah, couldn't agree more. It was very, very fortuitous. And, you know, there was many times that I was paid so little in comparison to my my friends who were working in corporate and working in banking industry or, or, you know, all these different industries in their late 20s. And here I was working in my dream job, working in a quite an awesome environment, getting to travel nearly every weekend to Paris or Morocco or India or wherever it was, but getting paid so little, but I did not care. I didn't care. Probably set you up for having your own business then <laughs> later. It, it later really on. did. It really, really did because, you know, then you've got to pound the pavement when you've got your own business too, don't you? <laughs> yeah, yep, absolutely. But yeah, so that's how like, the background story, I guess, the long-winded background story. And then I moved back to Australia in 2010 and that's when Ruby Olive was born. What was the concept around Ruby Olive and has it got any relation to do with your earlier business or is it a completely different business, a different idea. Where did that come from? 
it was still jewellery because that's what I knew and that's what I loved. I did product development for accessories in the UK, so bags, belts, scarves, all the sort of non-jewellery accessories, but I've always been connected to jewellery. But I knew jewellery because of my experience. So I did come back and decide to do jewellery. However, yes, it was completely different and I was really clear on what it would look like Although, you know, I thought it was clear what it was going to look like, but it ended up being very different, but we can come to that. But yeah, I wanted it to be inspired by the world around us. I wanted it to have meaning and purpose. I wanted it to uh, really inspire people to live outside of their world and inspire people about the world around us. So all of the jewellery that I designed back then was all inspired by my travels. So there was one called the Sahara, which I think we have only just sold. We keep on re-bringing that necklace back in because it was such a good seller. And then Beach House that was inspired by the Cornwall beach houses in Southern England. You know, all these places that inspired us. And so I just wanted to create a business which was a little different and not just about a product and just celebrating the world around us, really. And I really wanted to be conscious about how those products were made. Even back then, 12 years ago, I wanted it to be conscious about working with ethical manufacturers and working with people that were genuinely wanting to do good things. So that's how it came about. Your brand, if if anyone goes to your website, is so colourful and so happy and so vibrant. How has that embedded itself into, I guess, your brand and, and your customer at the end of the day? Because it is a, such a joyful brand. Yeah, I mean, I guess the brand, it is very colourful and it is all about colour, but it's actually the essence of what we are is all about inspiring people to be uniquely you. Yes, we design and we produce really colourful jewellery, now accessories and lifestyle products as well, but it's for us, it's not necessarily about the products. We're really all about how we make people feel, how we make the end user feel. And that's what brings us joy. It's how those products can turn someone's day around or can make them feel a little bit more confident or can walk down the street and give someone else a smile or or say, oh my gosh, I love that bag or I love that necklace. So obviously we're super proud and we love everything we do, but it's not about the products for us. It's about how it makes people feel. And even though, like you said, it it isn't necessarily about the product, but when you are product developing, how do you think that this is going to be what my customer is going to have that feeling at the end? How does that link together in that product development stage? Yeah. Look, at the beginning, it was really tricky because I had no benchmarks. (laughs) I had nothing to compare it against. So it was literally just throwing out a bunch of products, researching, uh, you know, asking people and working out, okay, this is where I think my customer will like, but it is really difficult at the beginning because you're sort of almost guesstimating a little bit. But obviously, sales talk and sales are what is the real indication of whether something is a successful product and whether something makes people smile because if they're buying it, the end is that it's making them joyful. When sales, like our most popular necklace, is the most colourful, craziest, maddest necklace you'll ever see and we have sold thousands of them and because... And it just keeps selling because it is just, you know, and obviously we'll keep doing it and versions of it because it does convert into sales. And so when we're doing product development, I'm sort of thinking, okay, well, that necklace, that length, 
that color combination, that clasp, that all those elements to that necklace clearly work. So how can we bring those elements into another necklace? And sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't. How can we change those colors around? Like we did a version of that necklace in a couple of different colors this season and they seem to sell really well some more than others. And so we're always trying to create what we term the move on. And I know that's such an awful term, but we also are realistic that one necklace or one product can't have this evergreen. It can't just keep on going forever in our industry ever. Anyway, there's lots of products uh, that can be evergreen, but ours yeah, there is a, an element of you need to keep moving it on. So we like to keep moving it on and keep developing and keep changing, keep designing just so we can keep having those newness. And keep it fresh as well. Keeping it fresh, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, with jewellery, it's a little bit different. You were not driven by seasonal changes so much. Yeah. But how do you reinvent and keep, and, you know, as we were saying, keeping it fresh, you do have really great following as well. You know, you've got the customers that keep coming back. Why do they keep coming back? And how do you, in front of mind, reinvent that each and every time? You know, I actually think that... Yes, it's about the product and yes, it's about creating and reinventing the product and just keep trying to find that new move on and trying things. But I actually think more importantly, it's listening to your customers, what they want and actually having a really clear message about your values and why our products why buy from us opposed to buy from someone else that might have a similar product. It's really about creating a brand following, uh, values, why we're different and just getting those customers to the brand because of who we are rather than the products we sell. I mean, listening to our customers, like I said before, is so important. We listen to a lot of our customers that were educators. For many years, they'd been saying, I wish you could do a really colourful lanyard because we have to wear lanyards every day, but we don't like the lanyards on the market because they're awful. And boring. And boring. So we had this conversation with them. We listened to them. We started bringing out a range of lanyards and guess what's selling more than anything? Lanyards. Who would have thought? <laughs> so it's just being open to listen to them and really, really properly listen to what they're yeah. after and what they want because, you know, at the end of the day, they're the ones who are going to buy. And I think there's a couple of things that I, I want to sort of talk about from that. And we'll go down that lanyard path at the moment because it is not jewellery. And I think what you were saying before around the product, and it's not about the product either. It's about the way you feel. And I think that's a very good correlation with what does a lanyard make someone feel? And the customers that buy your lanyards are teachers, nurses predominantly. You know, I'm sure that there's others. But I think it comes back to that feeling of when a nurse has a colourful lanyard, how does that make them feel putting it on to go to work? But also the patient that they're treating or from a teacher's perspective, the child can see that and might ask questions and be more open. I think there's more too than, as you were saying before, just a product on its own. Yeah, 100%. And when we were designing the lanyard, we wanted to be really intentional about that. So yes, it's something you put around your neck and absolutely you've got that talking point and that connection with the, the student or the patient or whatever. But we wanted it to go further. So we wanted it to be in a box that has got information on the box, which is a life quote, 
like live colourfully or live your life in colour or smiles always in fashion or something like that. So when that person opens that box for the first time, they're getting a smile because they're seeing a beautiful life quote. So then it's like this beautiful gift because it's not a lanyard that comes in plastic. It comes in a beautiful box with a little instructions on how to clean it, how to look after it, who the artists we work with to create this beautiful product. And it's got this box that can be so beautifully gifted. So someone's going to feel really special that they've received this gorgeous product, which has had a lot of detail in how it's designed. They've also got beautiful leather trims, really high quality clasps, and now we're making them all out of recycled water bottles. So talk about complete making an ordinary product extraordinary. It is just completely changing the narrative of what a lanyard is. It's now something that people are proud to wear rather than have to wear. And it's such a different place to be in than an essential item to, and it can be essential for some industries, to I choose to wear this and and proudly. And I've got a selection of beautiful range and colours and and then that means something to me as a consumer as well. Yeah. This is not my area. I didn't know anything about this three years ago, even two years ago. But now we actually sell pins, lanyard pins or pins that you put on your lanyard to accessorize your lanyard. I didn't even think that that was a thing. I didn't realize it was a thing. So people are now accessorizing their lanyards with these beautiful pins, which we've worked with local artists to create, and we give them names like thoughtful heart pins. So when someone feels like they've done something really thoughtful, they give them one of these pins and makes them feel, oh my gosh, I'm so grateful for what you've done. You've been so thoughtful. That person that gives it feels great. The person that receives it feels great. Oh, that's so wonderful. So it's got that meaning, as you say, which it's just, it's amazing. There's all these little areas of life, which are like that, which I never even realized. And I think, you know, like what you're saying, you ask your customer, you know, you didn't know about the pins three years ago. No. You know, you're getting that feedback from your customer. How do you engage in that customer base to get that feedback on what's working, what's not, things that you could be doing differently or when you're going down that product development stage, how do you sort of seek out for information from your customer base? Yeah, I think it's really important to make sure your customers know that we accept criticism and feedback. I mean, we're always going to get feedback and criticism, things like that. But I want my really sincere customers to understand and realize that they can always give us constructive feedback because that's how we're going to grow. So when we have reviews, we send out emails every time someone places an order and we tell them really clearly, we want to know how this is going. So a lot of the time we've had thousands of five-star reviews. But every time we don't have a five-star review, we're like, okay, what's going on here? How can we learn from this? Or maybe a customer will be really, really lovely and not give us a review so it's public. They'll email us separately and say, you know what? I actually think you could have done this better. And we're like, okay, that's really interesting. Tell me more because we want to learn more. And we also have this beautiful private Facebook group, which has got about 1,300 people, which is all of our customers. It's private. It's completely private. So only our VIP customers are part of it. That's separate to our public social media. So this is a safe space where we can say, okay, guys, we're having a problem with this dog collar. What do you think we should do? And so it's really listening and really asking the questions what, how we can improve. Because I think customers also like to be on the journey. They really like to be part of 
the development of a product and we're forever asking that. And probably part of the story too. Absolutely. Because your brand's developed over the years but at the end of the day, your customer is still the same person. Well, I would think, you know, that they are the same, but they've worked with you and they've grown with you and they've developed with you. Yeah, there are definitely some people that have been with us from the very beginning and it's so beautiful. I love when their orders come through and we always sort of treat them a bit special. It's, yep. it's this so is the nice. first customer that ever purchased from us from a market, you know, yeah. and then they're still there today and, you know, and they're part of that journey that you've taken over the years because it has yep. been a journey. You know, no business has been around for sustainable you know, 10 plus years. And I'm sure that it's been tough as well. Absolutely. But the business has evolved and changed and adapted with that. What do you feel over those years has been probably some of the biggest learnings and changes that you've had to adapt to? Yeah. I mean, I'd probably say two things. One of them is continuing to evolve and change and not being afraid of evolving and changing and tweaking. And, you know, I think if I thought that my business was going to look like X in year two and then year three, it would also look like X, I would completely have, have gone broke and I would not have a business anymore. It's being open to evolving and changing and being open to constantly learning about new things. That's actually quite interesting because so many people do go in with that idea of this is my business, this is the way it's going to look like. I'm sure you probably did that too. How do you overcome that? Because it's a hard one to go, well, this is not what I ever imagined. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, completely. Well, you know, we talk about, you know, when you go to these business conferences and business things, they talk about having a business plan and having a, you know, this written you know, beautiful business plan. I think it's obviously really good to have a plan and having a plan gives you vision and goals and things like that, which is wonderful. But when you're too married to that plan, it stops you from seeing other opportunities and it stops you from seeing where things, you know, the direction which the business is naturally going into. It's following the flow, if you like. And I've just always been a great believer in that, follow the flow. Like I've never really stuck, okay, Obviously, I've always stuck to things if I think they're worth sticking to. And if things are going well, I keep on doing more of that. But if something's not working and I can see all the different ways that I've tried to improve it, I'll give an example, uh, wholesaling. I used to be predominantly wholesaling. I used to wholesale a lot. In fact, in the first year and a half that I started the business, I think I had about 200 stores, which we used to stock. And we didn't really sell much online on our direct-to-consumer. And over time, the wholesale stores kept on dropping off, closing, go out of business. I kept on pushing and pushing, pushing, and it became harder and harder and harder to be this wholesale brand. So what I did is I focused on consumer really focused on consumer, but I still had this wholesale that I kept on trying, trying, trying. But it wasn't until I really properly focused on consumer and really went properly onto it with the website and the advertising and really thinking about it properly, did it take off. And I I haven't ever stopped doing wholesale, but I haven't made it my focus like I did back then. And had I not focused on consumer and had I focused on wholesale, I would definitely, most definitely would not have a business today. I guess that's an example of pivoting, changing, tweaking the model that I always thought the model would be X, but actually it's Y with a little bit of X. And over time, there is no question in my mind that we've made the right decision to focus on consumer because that is you know, 95, 90% of our revenue really. 
you've built that really great consumer following as well. But you had to flip the switch, I guess. You know, you it's had hard. to really get your mindset around it's what it's going to look like. And sometimes it's a slow burn to start with as well, because you would probably at one point have thought both's not working. You know, 100%. I'm trying to get consumer, you know, because to yeah. build that consumer base, it takes time and energy. Oh, and yes. I see so many brands out there that go, I'm not selling. I've been open for six months. It's like, oh, you've got to be in this the long term. Yes, it's a yeah. lot of work and it's a lot of content and it's a lot of how do you talk to your customer and build that community. There's so much to it than just creating a product. Like you said, the products come second. It's the consumer's feeling that comes first. And I think brands forget that. They think it's all about the product and I think that's what doesn't sell. You know, at the end of the day, that's how I feel because it's all about the feeling when you buy something for yourself. How does that not not only look but make you feel as a person? And I think that's the success of some businesses with – having this really great following. Agree. It is not an easy decision to make and it isn't easy at all. And as you say, you need to go through <laughs> a lot of- Do deep- the hard yards. Yeah. Yeah. I don't love bringing this up at all, but because we've just come out of that this period of COVID and we're still in it a little bit and, you know, it, it tests us and it's going to be an interesting place to be in in the next 12 months, which I've said before, but did your business change through this period or how did you adapt to such an unpredictable time or did it not do much in terms of the way that you operated your business? Yeah, I think my business flipped as in it completely changed. I didn't flip as in, you know, (laughs) flip, but it went, it um, completely and utterly changed. I don't know any businesses that were the same, to be honest. It completely changed. And, you know, I kind of believe in silver linings. And in some ways, it was a silver lining because what we have been able to achieve now with the things that we put in place and the things that we did, we wouldn't have had, I wouldn't have done as quickly if it wasn't for COVID. And I'm really, I don't want to say grateful for COVID because I'm not grateful for COVID, but um, (laughs) I'm grateful we were able to tweak and change and adapt at the time rather quickly because it has meant we're number one, still in business. And number two, we've, we've been able to grow and have some really, really awesome products. So our manufacturers in the Philippines, we get all of our jewellery, most of our jewellery anyway, manufactured by beautiful female artisans in the Philippines. And Philippines just stopped. Like one day I visited there, I was there two years ago in the March and I was on the last flight out. And had I been on the next flight the next day, I would have been stuck there. Philippines just shut down. Schools, everything shut down. And they didn't come back properly. In fact, they're probably still not back up and running to what they were, but most definitely for a year. And so I couldn't get jewellery out of the Philippines for about eight months. And when I was able to get jewellery out of the Philippines, it took a very, very long time. So I designed what I, when I went over there two years ago, and I designed because I, I used to go there and design while I'm there and, and sort of get the moulds out and, and play with the colours and things like that, like completely get it done and dusted there. Those designs that I created, I couldn't get them for a year and a half. So it was so frustrating. And it changes your whole 
you know, oh, forecast of your business and, and the planning that you were going to release that at a certain time. Completely. Like, but we didn't know back then. Like in, back then, we can, it's all very easy in hindsight, but we didn't know if it was going to last three months, six months, a year. Like had we known. And two years would, later. Two years still, later, still, right? We're exactly. still finding challenges. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we ended up changing our product category. We changed our model very quickly. So we started doing more lanyards. We started doing dog products, shopper bags, wrist lanyards. We started doing pins. We started doing enamel pins. We started doing uh, powder-coated metal brooches, all different products, uh, which came from lots of different places around the world. And so I wanted to make sure that irrespective of where I developed products, I wanted to be protected. So if one country got locked down, I'd have another country or one region, I'd have another region. So I was very, very intentional about that because I didn't want all my eggs to be in one basket like they were in the Philippines. But such a lot of work around that too. Oh, you, know, right. you know, there's, there's the sleepless <laughs> nights and there's the up at, at whatever time just to think about, well, how can I diversify a little bit, but also branch a little bit out with what we're doing to protect our brand, but also have product that at its core is still going to make our consumer happy. Absolutely. And, you know, I'd worked on this business for this business and it was my heart and soul for nearly 10 years. There was no way I was going to let it fall over. I had staff that I needed to pay. There was no way I was not going to pay them. I had an office which I paid good money for. I was not going to let that fall down. So I was all in, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all in as well as homeschooling. Well, that's another yeah. story. Because <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> um, and I think you do have to make that decision because with small business, you are either all in or you're all out. And yeah. it's not for the faint-hearted. It's no. a lot of work. It's not a, a job that you can just shut down at 5 p.m. in the afternoon and go, okay, I'm done for the day. And going through the tough time, I think you become stronger at the end of it and you become uh, a much more stronger and sustainable business because of it, because you're able to go through the sleepless nights and, and oh, the hard days completely, just to make it work. And I think uh, you've made it work not only from that side, but coming back to your customer. I think people go through small business and they go through tough times and they just throw anything at it, but it's not considered so it doesn't resonate with the customer. So it doesn't necessarily work. The decisions you have made have worked. And why do you think that is? Because I mean, I mean, I'm sure that there's plenty that haven't worked. But plenty, plenty. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of great decisions that you've made that have actually come off. And why do you think that would be? All decisions which have been calculated, as in they haven't been just pie in the sky, they have been really thought out. I am a quick decision maker, so I don't ponder on things too short a time. I think that's a skill that I do have. I am able to look at the pros and cons of something and decide fairly quickly whether I'm going to go with it or not. It's just I've always been like that and generally I can work out and I, I work a lot with my gut, making sure, okay, it does this feel right? Yeah, I think during COVID as well, we connected with our customers more than we'd ever connected before. So we sent out gift packs to people. We had campaigns running where if you, someone in your life is really, really having a tough time, write them down here, tag them, and we're going to send out five gift boxes every week for the next three months. We sent out about 70 gift boxes full of product to people, which we didn't even 
even know. We sent out thousands and thousands of postcard puzzles to people to give out to people in their community. Like we didn't charge for them. It was just something that we we had stock of some things. We didn't have stock of other things, but we had stock of some things. And you know, well, you know what? People can't afford to buy them. So let's just send them out and be true to our values, put smiles on faces, and hopefully those people will come back when they're ready. Yeah, when they want to make someone else smile. Yeah, we created gift boxes. So yes, we sent them out to 60 or 70 people during that time, but we also had them to buy on our website. So we created, it was a logistic nightmare. You know, we just did whatever we needed to do, like everyone did, (laughs) really. And they're still there today. The gift boxes are still online today in different capacities, but they're, they're there. Yeah. Exactly. What do you feel over the last many years that you've been in business has been some of the biggest mistakes? You know, I love to hear people's mistakes because they're they're not actually mistakes. So I should rephrase that to be more learnings. And we've all got them. And I think we, being in business, we test ourselves every single day with our learnings. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But what do you feel stands out as some of the ones where you go, okay, that changed the way I thought about my business or the way that I made decisions about my business? Oh, look, there's so many learnings. Realizing that you can't do it all is a big one. And I think as business owners, we want to do it all and we want to be like, we think that our way is better than anyone else's way. Like we think that we can do it better than other people, which is crap. We just think that. And so you kind of need to get out of your own head, which I think had I asked for help or got help or got more experienced people to help me sooner, I probably would have grown faster or grown, be in a different position than where I am now. I think getting good help, it's not always easy, but outsourcing, like outsourcing 3PL, you know, outsourcing some specific marketing things, um, outsourcing, customer service or whatever it is. So hard to let go too though. Oh, it's so hard to let go. And you know what? The people are going to make mistakes. They will, but that's okay because they're not, they don't know everything about your business like you do. So you've got to give everyone space to learn. And, you know, if there's a lot of mistakes that have happened after being taught what the right thing is, then that's another conversation. Separate issue. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. If you're expecting someone to do what you do in, you know, the same amount of time, then it's, that's a little bit unfair. But I think the biggest mistake for me was not accepting help sooner, really like help in whatever form. We don't really like asking for help, do we? No, no. And I think, you know, when you have been part of the business from a very early stage and you've been, it's your lifeblood, you know, I find it's one of the hardest things to let go of because you don't want to let anyone down at the the end of the day. But in saying that, you let yourself down because you you realise how stretched you definitely are. Over the years, is there something that stood out as your biggest win, so to speak, or a success that, you, you know, that you feel that you can be proud of? There's lots of wins, which are, I guess, superficial wins, you know, winning awards and, and reaching revenue peaks and, and doing all these things, which are all great wins. I think, you know, this is going to sound pretty corny, but I just love making people happy. Like, I just love seeing my product out in the wild and seeing someone smile. Like, that for me 
is above any Telstra award or any any other award or any revenue goal or anything like that, that's a win. I feel like I'm winning every day. Like I know that sounds naff and silly. No, no, no. But I just, that's what keeps me moving. And I think that's what drives you at the end is is seeing that. Yeah. And I think you're in the right place when you make those decisions that it isn't superficial, that they are meaningful and it then puts a smile on your face and you go, do you know what? What I'm doing is great. What what I'm doing is I know that this is what I should be doing and you keep going. That's to be commended because I think business is, is not necessarily about our revenue. It, there's more to why we do business Completely. at the end of the day. Well, they say revenue is a vanity metric. You want to be in the right place at the end of the day. Yeah. Part of this podcast is around delivering joy mm. to our customers and you do that every single day. But what does that look like for you and your brand? And how do you know when you get it right? Yeah, I mean, delivering joy is not just about delivering the product. It's making sure that there is touch points throughout the entire journey from start to finish or even before they've purchased to three months down the track, making sure that they have got these beautiful touch points about the brand, which is reminding them to live joyfully or be uniquely them or live colourfully or whatever the message is. I think it's making sure that every single one of those touch points, like having a, a, a card in with their order, which got us our mission statement or got a little a quote or having a little box, which inside the box has got a life quote, just making sure those little tiny touch points, which on their own is just little, but actually if you've got a bunch of them from a brand and they add up, they actually do just keep feeding joy every time you wear that lanyard or every time you open that box to put your your stuff that you're using that box to put in or, or whatever, you see that little life quote. I think that's really important to me to make sure that uh, that's the way we continue to offer joy. It's the message first and yeah. the product second. Yeah. Like you've, you've made reference the, yeah. through through this the message. chat today is that it's the message first followed by the product and I think that's such a, a beautiful place to be in. As we start to wrap up, where to for Ruby Olive? You know, we're getting to the prickly part of 2022, yeah. I, I say that, um, and this year's gone super quickly. But where to? Where are we going? We love developing products. We love telling stories. We love celebrating amazing women. Um, so we're going to do more uh, in terms of celebrating more women. We would love to do more events and get more women together. We used to do some events before COVID and we've obviously had to stop all of those. We're starting to get back into that again. And I think it's really all about knuckling down our storytelling and our messaging and just trying to uh, reach out to more customers and get more beautiful artwork on more products and maybe even test a couple more products too. So we've got a couple of other products in the pipeline, which are different. Again, not jewellery, uh, but more lifestyle and accessories. Why not? Like, it's fun. <laughs> and that's part of part of it too, is, is keeping it fun and keeping it interesting and keeping a purpose around what you do, why you do it. And I think that's why you're here 10 plus years later yay, as well. Yeah, yay. Yeah, it's awesome. It's so lovely to chat with you today. And I really thank you for taking the time out because a beautiful brand and a beautiful message that, that sits fundamentally below its surface because that's what drives you every single day. Yeah. Oh, thank you for having me, Dan. It's been wonderful. 
Thanks for listening to Delivering Joy. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it around or leave a review. This helps others find the podcast. Join me next time as we go behind the brands and discover what it really takes to deliver joy to customers. 